Welcome to Hoopsville, our midsummer uh, edition of our podcast. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, coming to you from the WBCA and ABC studios presented by D3Hoops.com. Of course, our guests coming up later in the show will be on our Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville hotline. So sorry for the uh, delay. We warned you about this. There would be a bit of a gap between our last podcast and this one. Granted, the last podcast got out the door a little late anyway. Um, but because of work for me, believe it or not, work, I can't, it, it's, been, it's wonderful to know you're doing something on an almost daily basis. A uh, wonderful opportunity to go out to West Virginia in the Greenbrier, a resort I, I knew very little about, to be blunt, before I got there and knew quite a bit about by the time I got there and even more after I left for the World Team Tennis season. I only stayed for about half the season, um, but wow. I know this is a basketball show, but forgive the moment here. Awesome tennis, awesome players, tremendous group to work with, a group I've been working with now. This is my third summer with World Team Tennis, but in a much grander scale this time, instead of just being mainly focused on my market, my Washington, D.C. site and such. Um, Excellent opportunity. Uh, I only regret that I couldn't stay for the entire thing. I hope you got to watch some of it. If you didn't, you can go and watch it. Um, it, it is. It was awesome. Uh, not your normal tennis. Uh, very different structure. It's outstanding. 45th season. It was well worth it. And I just wanted to take the moment to uh, to mention that. Now I'm busy with Major League Baseball. Believe it or not, I am not traveling to ballparks. I am at home doing my Major League Baseball work. Work that I can't really talk about, technically. Um, and I'm just glad to have a job. Unfortunately, uh, that gets me to the next topic. As you know, or you probably are fully aware of, we are starting to not starting to enter some un- unknown areas, but we're we're back into some unknown areas. We've been slowly walking towards this since March 12th, when the rug got pulled out from us in the NCAA tournaments. Um, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I'm going to give you a, uh, an idea of how I thought about things. When Bowden decided to pull the pull the cord, as it were, on their, on their sports and, and say, we're not going to even allow sports to start until January, I said something to a number of people, and I meant it very genuinely. I hope we look back on this and, and say Bowden was wrong and that they made this decision far too soon because I hope we don't look back and realize they were right. If if they're wrong, it means we finally got a hold of things. We figured it out. We as a general sense, I mean, as a nation, I don't mean as a division, I don't mean as college sports. I mean, in general, we got a hold of this. We finally, you know, put our heads around it. And Bowden should have waited just a little longer on this decision. It's unfortunate. Because if Bowden is right, then we're in a lot of trouble. And this is not about Bowden. It's about everything else. Bowden just allows you that barometer check, that, that point of reference to say whether this decision is a smart one or not. And Bowden is looking more and more clearly right. Because at this point in time, fall sports have been called off, or at least by the championships and by majority of schools, as of this recording, the ARC has still not changed their minds. They're moving forward with fall sports, but there is no championship to play for on a national level. A lot of schools have said, hey, we're going to move to the spring. We'll talk more about that later. And so we're now looking at schools that are also going Bowdoin's route and saying, you know what, we're not even going to have athletes participating in intercollegiate athletics until January. Now, they, they may spend some time practicing with their team in the fall, but they're not going to compete against anybody. And the NCAA at the Division Three level has made a number of steps to make it as easy for schools as possible. We've got the 50% waiver, meaning if no school at the team, I should say, doesn't play more than 50% of their games, everybody can have a blanket waiver on their eligibility, whether they need it or not, whether they plan to use it or not. 
But the moment the team goes over 50% and you're a member of that team, um, that blanket waiver is gone. Individual waivers are certainly can be applied. And they made a decision on, you know, normally we're used to in, let's say, basketball, a 19-week season when practices start to to the end of regular season they've gone to saying hey you just have days you have x amount of days to get your season put together you figure out what's best for you to do that how each school and each conference is going to do that is different but we're heading towards some tough decisions so on today's show we're going to talk about this from a couple different vantage points the first vantage point is going to be a coach uh philip ponder of oglethorpe is going to join us while in the middle of a tremendous trip though by the time this is released he will be back from that trip but he's going to discuss an idea that i heard heard floating around and I only heard it floating around in the sense of a coach going you know maybe we should start in January I wonder if we can move the season Philip Ponder put that all down on paper with all the pros and cons to it and an idea of how to framework it he tested it out he, he asked a few people he's asked more people he's asked even more people and now I know when I talk to somebody who either I don't think knows about it or I'm kind of curious if they've heard about it they bring it up first to me now so that idea is out there we're going to talk about it with Philip Ponder exactly what his framework is and, and some of the challenges with it and where where the premise behind the framework is. Can we move the season? If, Or I should say, if we need to move the season, can we do this? Then we're going to take another tactic. Uh, Jason Fine will join us on the show to talk about um, the, the perspective of an athletics director and the management council. Jason Fine is the AD at Bates. He's a former sports information director and coach, by the way, throughout his tenures uh, at many different institutions. He's now the AD, as we mentioned, at Bates. He's on the management council. He'll become the chair of that council come January. He's got a heck of a year ahead of him in that role. He'll talk about some of the decisions that led to, for example, fall championships being canceled and whether ideas of fall sports being played in the spring are viable. Yes, we're a basketball show, but those conversations about fall playing in the spring is part of the conversation of can we move our basketball slightly into later into the year, i.e. play a championship in April? Can that be done with whatever else is going on on those campuses? So they all kind of revolve around the same topic. We have a fascinating conversation with Jason Fine coming up. And then we're going to put the brakes on all of that, throw the parachute out and take a right-hand turn. We'll talk about the all-decade team. The women's team is out. Men's still in progress, but the women's team is out. Gordon Mann joins us to talk about how he put it all together, and we talk about some of the greats who played Division Three women's basketball in the decade that was, 2010 to 2020. So that's still all ahead, and then at the end of the show, we'll button it up with some of our notebook items, because since we sent out the, uh, the uh, last podcast, there has been a little bit of news outside of just the coronavirus. So that's all still ahead on the show. We're going to keep this segment tight, because the next few interviews are tremendous and we want to leave the time for those so when we come back we talk about the idea if we need to move the season officially in the ncaa division three level can we do it and can we come up with a framework to do it instead of just going uh oh we have to move the season but it still has to end at the end of february we talked to philip ponder coming up from oglethorpe on his idea and his framework and what can maybe be done with it. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. If you want to interact with us, make sure you follow us on Twitter at D3HoopsVille or use the hashtag HoopsVille. You can do the same on Instagram at D3HoopsVille there as well. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HoopsVille and you can always email us HoopsVille at D3Sports.com. That's HoopsVille at D3Sports.com. Philip Ponder joins us next talking about the season change. More schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. 
There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to Hoopsville, the midsummer edition of the podcast as we get into our interview segment of the show. Talking to start off with, what are we going to do come November? Or is it January? There's lots of questions up in the air now that we get closer and closer to the season. One coach, or I should say a number of coaches, have, have had ideas of throwing around saying, hey, let's do January. Well, one coach actually put those on paper. It's circulating its way around the country and around the division. And now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline from Oglethorpe. It is Coach Philip Ponder who put that all on paper. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate you having me, Dave. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's start at the beginning. Obviously, the season comes to an abrupt end in March. Well, not the season, per se, but the postseason came to an abrupt end at the end of March. And, of course, everything else came to an abrupt end, even the convention for the NABC. At what point? Do you think yourself or coaches started looking ahead at the next season and going, we might have a problem? Uh, I don't think it was immediate. You know, when it hit in March, you know, everybody was just so caught by surprise and, you know, was just starting to get used to the new normal. Uh, but I, I think in June, you know, I was talking to some coaches and, and, you know, we started just saying, hey, what if, and, you know, speculating on things and I'm a news junkie and um, <laughs> I'm you know, sorry well I can't help it <laughs> got more time on my hands to be a news junkie right now ah, that's the truth but I think it was probably late June or early July where I started kind of seeing the writing on the wall and then in discussions with some coaches I mean we just started becoming a little more concerned and so I believe it was early July where you know, I, I said something to my athletic director and just said, hey, I'm thinking about this idea and maybe, you know, putting together a proposal, um, what do you think? And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, put it on paper. And so I, I wrote something up for him, gave it to him. He gave me a few suggestions. You know, and he's a former basketball coach, uh, you know, great guy to work for. He gave me a few suggestions. I tweaked it a little bit. And then he was like, send it to our uh, conference commissioner, who, who is also a former basketball coach. And our conference commissioner was like, 
yeah, it looks good. Why don't you see what some of the, the coaches in, in our league think about it? And so I shared it with a few of the coaches in our league, and, and they were all enthusiastic about it. And so from there, we passed it kind of up to the Division Three uh, members of the uh, board of directors of the NABC, uh, you know, Pat Cunningham, uh, Coach Brock, Coach McGrath, uh, Coach Stewart, got some positive feedback from them. And so from there, Coach Cunningham kind of suggested sending it out to, to some coaches around the country. Uh, so myself and then uh, Chris Graves at Birmingham and Thad McCracken and Hendricks helped me send this out a little bit. And we sent it out to a lot of coaches around the country and, you know, got an overwhelmingly positive response. You know, just I think coaches were just – frustrated not knowing what was going to happen. And, and I think we all want some consistency. We don't want one school doing one thing, one conference doing one thing, and another conference doing another. So the the response was, was very overwhelming. Um, and this was in early July, and I, I think not many conferences have made the decision to stop fall competition at, at that point. So I, I feel like this makes more sense today than it did even a month ago. Yeah, it's certainly a, a lot changes almost on a daily basis um, as we're getting ready to release this. You know, last week we all swore the FBS would be going out on its own and, and pushing its football mainly, but all of its other sports as a result um, through. And, and now it looks like they're going to all come to a close by the time we release this or shortly thereafter. Um, Let's talk about the, the, the brass tacks. Let's talk about the, the details of this. Again, you hinted at the fact we, we know pretty well, uh, starting with Bowden, a number of schools decided to push the season until uh, January, and especially a couple of conference. Um, Skyac comes to mind off the top of my head out in, in the L.A. region, and some others have said we aren't even going to start the season until January. Normally that means you're going to have six weeks, roughly, until the end of the regular season, and we're talking postseason. Not a lot of time to play some basketball. Let's talk about what your basic plan is and, and how you have it structured because there's a lot of time, obviously, after the new year, but there's also a little bit of time before that. Yeah, so, so what the original plan was was to have a non-traditional segment in the fall, and now they've come out with this 114-day rule, which, which kind of changes that a little bit. But we, but we just wanted to make sure that we could work with our players in the fall, you know, keep them engaged, give them something to look forward to, allow us to start incorporating you know, the offense and defense and just keeping everybody in shape and uh, motivated. Uh, but then the official first day of practice, because a lot of schools are going to be going home at Thanksgiving break and they're not going to be coming back until January. Um, so there's going to be a big layoff anyway, which is another reason why it was important to be able to work with your players in the fall. But uh, the first official practice day would be January 1. The first official play date, now you don't have to play on that specific date, would have been January 15. Uh, and then you basically have about a month to play some non-conference games, Conference schedules would, you know, roughly start mid-February. Uh, and, and the way you get this done, though, and this is the big challenge and the big hang-up, is you have to move the championships. So instead of the championships being in March, uh, the national tournament being in March, basically the, the proposal that I wrote up, the conference tournaments would be that first weekend in April, which is around April 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Uh, and then the national tournament would start April 9th. So it would be the 9th and the 10th, and then the 16th and the 17th. 
And then the final four would be the 23rd, and the national championship game would be April 24th. So basically, we're giving up. You know, the first play date this year was going to be November 6th. We were basically giving up two months to get one uh, so that we could actually have a semblance of a real season. This would allow us to have, you know, maybe 80% of a season, about 20 games, uh, which, which is, you know, still a pretty good year. Where We, we were just trying to avoid a, a conference-only 14-game schedule. You know, we want the student-athletes to have the best experience possible. And, you know, uh, we, we felt like this plan would, would really help do that. And we should point out, again, those two months, the six weeks of the season leading up until the, the new year, is gone. You're extending by a month, but then you're also uh, losing a couple of weeks of the preseason. Um, of course, something the NESCAC uh, probably looks at everybody and goes, uh, yeah, we lose that all the time. Um, now, this, as you said, you, you went to your coach, you went to your conference commissioner, you, you spread it around to some others within your conference. What were the next steps to this? How, how have you gotten feedback from it? How have you gotten thoughts on it? What, what have you done to, to move it along? And we should point out at this point, there's even people coming in nationally who've heard about it. How has it spread? Well, I mean, we sent it out to, to a lot of coaches via email. And then, like I said, the response, you know, I, I probably got 40 or 50 coaches that responded, you know, just saying, you know, we love this. We just, we've, we've been so desperate for a plan and, um, you know, what can we do to help? And I, I didn't really have a good answer for them in, in terms of what they can do to help. But, you know, they seemed to all want to help and, and wanted to do something like this. I honestly don't know the answer to your question. I don't know how we get this done. I mean, it's, it's above my pay grade. But I feel like, you know, coaches all over the country would be supportive of this. We all want to give our student-athletes the best possible experience and to me, it just makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, there, there are some challenges with it uh, that were part of that proposal. It was a pros and cons, and that there are some challenges that were, were mentioned in that uh, in terms of overburdening facilities, overburdening athletic trainers, overburdening sports information directors. But those were challenges that, that I feel like can be worked through. Um, and we've all had a lot of time off. Uh, lately, and we're going to have a little more time off in the fall than, than we're used to. I think we, we're all ready to roll our sleeves up and work our tails off in the spring to, to make things work for, for not just basketball, but for all sports. I think if we all come together, all hands on deck, I think coaches from all sports could make this happen. Yeah, the challenge we have here is that, um, as you said, there's some pros and cons, and, and some of the cons are, are the manpower and the resources and facility use as we move sports further into the spring. This is assuming we can even get the season off the ground. We're not going to necessarily touch on that. We're, you're, you're essentially trying to find a way to make sure we can pull this off, but what are you, you mentioned the facility use and you mentioned um, manpower and stuff. What have you heard in terms of the, the cons, and how do you find ways around them, do you think? I think there's several ways. Uh, first of all, like I said, it's, it's just got to be all coaches, all sports, all hands on deck. Help each other. That's the first thing. Second thing is, you know, we're going to be saving a lot of money, um, you know, with less travel. Uh, we'll, we'll be playing less games. There'll be less travel. So, I mean, there's going to be some savings potentially uh, where you could use some of that saving, savings to outsource 
uh, hiring additional athletic trainers just for that particular game day when, when there's several events going on on campus or outsourcing stat crews when you have multiple events going on on campus. Um, you know, also one just idea in the proposal was, you know, hey, we only go five days a week instead of six. You know, you're required to have the one-off day, but hey, maybe we have two, and that's a sacrifice I'm certainly willing to make, and I think most coaches would be willing to make uh, if, if it helps us get this done and helps us have 20 games instead of, you know, 14. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of ways you can do it. I, I think, you know, if you really want to get it done, you know, there, there's ways you can do it. It's certainly an, an intriguing idea. You you talk about the money saved. Obviously, the the worry is um, enrollment from students in general, and uh, certainly not just basketball, but but in general, there may be some schools that can't. This is this is as as broad an idea as you can make it. This isn't going to work for everybody, probably depending on their circumstances. But that seems like an every year thing, anyway. Right. Yeah, and like some game, some schools may try to play, you know, 21 games, and some schools may be like, hey, we're only going to play 18 because we just can't can't do it. But it, it gives us the option uh, and gives us more flexibility. So. You also talked about an idea when we were talking off air, um, not even an idea, just kind of a, pre- a premise of the fact that normally student-athletes get, you know, are mandated a day off a week. Um, and we talk about the – especially with spring sports and with the idea of maybe fall sports being played in the spring at some institutions, you're talking about the idea of maybe giving student athletes an extra day off a week as well in this, in this model. Yeah. I mean, again, that's a sacrifice that I think all coaches would be willing to make to have closer to a full season. Um, You know, if that helps our institutions, um, you know, lessens the burden on the athletic trainers, the facilities. Although the facilities with basketball, I mean, we just share it with volleyball. So I feel like it's doable. But, yeah, I mean, all ideas are on the table. You know, I, I want to find a way, instead of finding a way, why, finding a reason why we can't do it, let's find a way to do it. Uh, and, you know, there'll be sacrifices that need to be made. It's not going to be perfect. But I think we all want to give our student-athletes the best possible experience. Sure. Even if this um, this conversation results in something slightly different, at least the conversation has been had. Where do you where where does this need to go? I, I know you've been talking with the NABC and you've gotten support from the NABC. Has there been conversations on the women's side to at least maybe bring them on board as well, since it would make logical sense to have both kind of move at the same time? Yeah, we we originally just were passing it along to the men's coaches, because, you know, just like government has got to pass the Senate before it can go to the House. <laughs> right sure. so, so we wanted to make sure that we, we got some movement on the men's side. And once we, you know, we're getting some positive feedback on the men's side, then it began to be shared. Um, you know, we, we sent it to uh, someone in, with the WBCA, and I know a lot of the men's coaches started sharing it with their women's coaches. So, so the women's coaches may not be, it may not be quite as widespread on the women's side, but Quite a few of the women's coaches are aware of it. And from what I'm hearing, um, you know, it's getting positive feedback on the women's side as well. But, yeah, obviously it needs to be both sides. And, um, you know, I I think it would have overwhelming support. I just am not 100% sure what the next steps are or how to get it done. We're in mid-August here. We're technically about two months away from the start of traditional um, preseason and three months away from the start of traditional 
start of season. Um, in reality, we're five months or a little less than five months away from this, pl- you know, January from the new year. Obviously, the ball is rolling a little bit and feels like it needs a shove. What do you think is the next uh, logical step for you guys? Well, I mean, the whole the whole point of this is, you know, back in March when, when everything was abruptly ended, it, that just took everybody by surprise. There, there was nothing that could be done. Uh, but this, you know, we're, we're in early August. You know, our championships are seven, eight months away. I mean, this is a, we haven't even been in the pandemic for seven or eight months. So think how long this has been that we've been in the pandemic. The championships are further away than that. Um, so I think we've got plenty of time to make some changes, you know, and it's just pushing the championships back by a month. Um, you know, we, the NCAA has just got to be willing to be a little more flexible and not so rigid. You know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, a once-in-a-lifetime situation. You know, it hadn't happened since 1918. Um, where maybe you got to be a little more flexible. Uh, I don't know if it's um, committees in the NCAA. I don't know if coaches just need to band together, sign a petition. I, I really don't know what the next steps are exactly. But you know, it just it makes total sense to me, and um, you know, pushing everything back just gives us more time. You know, and I was reading an article this morning, you know, um, about some of the the vaccine trials, and, and you know, it, it looks like positive news is coming, but it may be January, February, and so the further we can push things back, the, the more time it gives us. Uh, you know, I'd hate for us to lose a second national tournament, but a national tournament is going to take flights, and if you know. Lights are in March. I don't, you know, yeah. an extra month will do nothing but help. Um, the, the more time we can buy, the better. Certainly. Uh, we're talking to Philip Ponder here, head coach at Oglethorpe, with the idea of can we come up with a plan B, if necessary, most likely necessary, of shifting the entire season starting in January with some truncations where necessary um, to at least pull off a reasonable season versus an ad hoc or lack thereof altogether. Um so when you say the NCAA, obviously at this point we're talking about the division because as as things have proven with the President's Council canceling the fall championships on its own, this is about just convincing the division it can move the championships and at the same time convincing Indy that or, or having Indy say to you that they can they can shift with you. You talk about having conversations with people. Is this one where you, you almost want to hear from more voices? Yeah, if anybody's listening to this that uh, has ideas on how we can make this happen, uh, I'm all ears. You know, they're welcome to email me, email you, um, contact their uh, conference commissioner. Um, I just think we need, you know, we need kind of a groundswell of people wanting to do this. You know, because right now, I just wanted an organized plan B and a proactive plan B. Mm-hmm. Right now we just have a uh, ad hoc, uh, I don't know the best word for it, but it's just, well, we're not going to play in the fall, so we'll see if we can play in January, and we're going to have half a season. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to be a little more organized and, and a little more proactive and, and, and have the best possible season we can have. Yeah, and it, it, almost not a conference-by-conference conference thing because you get – Potentially, if this works, you're going to need maybe some of them are going to need some non-conference games possibly to, to sprinkle in there. 
um, as well. Yes, contact yourself. We'll put your your contact information on the uh, show page or contact me. Everybody knows how to get a hold of me, even those who who I don't need to hear from um, can get a hold of me. I, I assume by the end of this week or at least by the next podcast, you will have solved this. Right, right, Coach? Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you haven't, we, we will we will ask you why. Um, isn't that how it all works? Um, it, it's a fascinating idea. It, I, I'm certainly all for it. I'm also all for hearing why it's a challenge and what we need to figure out. You know, it's one of those conversations, I think. I think everybody's willing to jump on board. Um, before we, we, we ask you what you've been doing in the meantime, is there anything else about this plan that you think needs to be stressed? Um, I, I just think it, it's about the student-athletes giving them the best possible experience. Uh, yes, there will be some challenges with it. No, it's not perfect, but, but what's the saying? Don't, don't let the uh, perfect be the enemy of good. I, I can't remember the, the saying exactly, but it's not a perfect plan, but it's a better plan than, than what we're heading towards right now. Sure. Um, and interestingly enough, the, the NJCAA – National Junior College Athletic Association has already done something very similar to this. They have moved all sports, fall, winter, and obviously spring was going to be in spring, but they've moved all sports to the spring, all championships to the spring. And, you know, it's just a little frustrating that the NJCAA is out in front of the NCAA right now. Yeah, of course, being um... – yeah, no, I, I had a thought on being three divisions, but that you know, NJCAA has multiple divisions as well. So uh, it's it's an interesting point to say the least. Um, you, in the meantime, have had we're catching you literally on the tail end. You're on your honeymoon, as it were, from from a tremendous um, um, way of spending your time. Uh, we we have pictures on our show page in some format. Uh, as I do this, I don't know how we how I'm formatting them yet, but there's pictures there. You took a grand trip to see parts of this country. Uh, can you tell everybody a little bit of what spurred the idea? Yeah, well, normally every summer I, I take like a four-week trip overseas. Uh, I've, I've been lucky enough. I've been to like 49 or 50 countries. Wow. But obviously this year COVID was not going to allow me to go overseas. So I, I kind of resigned myself to just no travel this summer, but uh, just a couple of weeks ago, about well, about three or four weeks ago, the, the wanderlust just started getting the better of me. And <laughs> I started brainstorming what can I do and uh, Googled some stuff, and I found this camper van for you know really inexpensive uh, out west. I flew into Las Vegas. I was a little worried about the flight um, with COVID, but that was but besides the flight, this was a completely solo, socially distanced trip. I was just on my own in a camper van, no restaurants, no hotels. Uh, it was not an RV. It was a camper van, so no no bathroom, no shower, but it, it did have a little camp stove and a refrigerator, uh, and it was just a 12-passenger van with a driver's seat, passenger seat, a bed in the back, and then the little uh, stove and, and refrigerator. Uh, but I drove all around the West to a bunch of national parks, uh, Bryce Canyon, Grand Teton, Yellowstone, Arches National Park, Canyonlands. Uh, so I went to six national parks, a state park, and I actually just got back late last night. So that's pretty uh, that's darn. Good. That's darn impressive, sir. Uh, I, I'm somewhat jealous. You've been sending me pictures along the way, and you already know my jealousy. 
uh, especially <laughs> when you hit the Grand Tetons um, and Yosemite, uh, some great places to see this country. Uh, some things that are on my to-do list, to say the least. Uh, give everybody a little bit of a sense of where you got that travel bug from, though. Well, so I started out at Oglethorpe as a graduate assistant. We had a, a master's program at the time, and so I, I started out as an unpaid graduate assistant. Uh, was fortunate enough to work my way up to, to the position I'm in now. But when I was in one of my graduate classes, I met a lady that was in charge of the people-to-people student ambassador program, uh, which took children or, or middle schoolers and high schoolers, you know, all over the country and all over the world, and, and they were looking for male chaperones. She was like, I, I think you'd be great. And so. First trip I ever did was I took a group of middle schoolers to Yosemite National Park. Wow. The following year, I took a group of high schoolers to England, France, Italy, and Greece. And, and that's where I really caught the bug. And after that, I just kind of started traveling on my own, um, you know, where you don't have a set itinerary. I, I remember on that trip, we were in the Anne Frank house. Or no, it was the, the, the trip after that. We were in the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam, and I was wanting to read all of the stuff. And they were like, "We got to go. We got to go. We got to get to the <laughs> thing." And so, after I, I took three trips with people to people, and after the third trip, I was like, "You know what? I, I need to do this on my own so I can, you know, enjoy things and stay if I want to stay and go if I want to go." And so, ever since then, I've been, you know, taking a big trip, like I said, every summer. So it's uh, it's been. Uh, very eye-opening, you know, seeing the yeah. world. You look at things a little differently once you've been all over the world. Yeah, as many people probably know, I, I spent a year traveling, uh, six months states, six months Europe, roughly. That's a, it's an av- you know, simple way of describing it. And my time in both sections was amazing, but Europe certainly blew my mind. And uh, I'm, a, I'm jealous because you're doing what I was hoping I could do, and I haven't been able to pull it off. Um, someday I'm going to pull my family or at least my wife around parts of Europe the same way you have. So congratulations on that. I appreciate the time you gave us. Um, Welcome back to uh, reality. Uh, I know you probably would love to spend more time out there in in the wonders of the north and and western parts of our country. I don't blame you, but welcome back. Um, As always, we give the final word to the guest. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Yeah, just two things. Again, anybody has any ideas to, to get this moving forward, uh, you know, please pass those ideas on to, again, to your commissioner, to me, uh, to Dave. Um, you know, I, I would love to see this happen. And I, I've actually heard rumors that Division One is starting to talk about this. And if the football domino falls this week, which is looking like it might, then the Division One basketball domino might fall. Where I, I've heard about May Madness. Uh, for Division One, um, but anyway, uh, any ideas greatly appreciated. And then again, Dave, appreciate everything you do for Division Three uh, basketball. Pat, uh, Gordon, everybody uh, at D Three Hoops, uh, you guys make it much more special than I think most Division Two junior college NAI Division One's its own animal. But you guys make Division be probably more special than, than any other division in my opinion so no that's kind of you to say i appreciate it um good luck with the idea stay in touch with me let me know how it's progressing and, and again folks reach out to coach ponder or myself we'll put our our contact information for coach ponder again is on the show page and and of course uh, my contact information is in many many places if you can't get a hold of me uh <laughs> 
Try harder. Uh, it's an easy way of saying that. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Hopefully we have some kind of season. Look forward to catching up with you down the road, uh, maybe talking specifically about your team, but getting an update from you would be great too, and, and we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate that. And it's Coach Philip Ponder joining us from Oglethorpe on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. And, of course, once again, thanks to Coach Ponder for joining us here on the show to talk about it. Is this idea perfect? Probably not. Is this idea better than what we got? Absolutely. Um, We we do have conferences coming up with their own ideas because there is no plan in place because everyone feels like we're going to end at our normal point, which is the end of February, and we're going to start a three-week postseason from there for the NCAA tournament. And that's how it's going to go. So everybody's looking at the calendar going, okay, if we're not going to allow sports until January, or at least winter sports until January, then we need to get on it and just figure out how to way to truncate the schedule. So this could get complicated if, if a new plan comes out and conferences who have done that are going to have to come back and go, whoa, we got to change the schedule again. But listen, that's part of the course right now. Let's, let's do what we can to make it work. I really hope we can find a way to have at least some type of season to talk about and then have some kind of postseason. D1 is talking about this May Madness idea. I have no idea what's feasible, because what's feasible in D1 is not necessarily feasible in D3. And, and we talked about some of the challenges of having sports crossing over. Crossover season is always tough in the fall and in the spring between the fall, winter, and the winter, spring sports. That, that is always a challenge. Now we're making those crossovers either larger or we're making those crossovers just kind of par for the court there is no crossover it's everything into the same pot can that be achieved well that's for our next segment joining us will be jason fine he's the athletics director at bates college he's also on the management council will be the chair of that council come january we will talk to him about how this all comes together first off what division three has been doing to try and make decisions about fall sports and other sports, the idea of moving fall to spring, the idea of moving this basketball season and other winter sports, because this is also about ice hockey and this is about other uh, sports that take place in the winter. Can we move them a little bit in this way? We don't know. And, And Jason will at least give us that perspective as being someone who's on the management council, which is a step below the president's council. He'll also give us a perspective of being an administrator as an athletics director and a sports information director in the past. He's also been a coach in the past, so he can get it. We'll talk to him about how it all maybe pieces together. You're listening to Hoopsville, the midsummer edition. If you got questions for us, you can always tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville and on Instagram at D3Hoopsville as well. Jason Fine joins us when we come back. For the love of the game. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. 
being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle. And, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Midsummer Podcast. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Rolling along here as we're talking about the continuing to talk about the effects of coronavirus on Division Three, We said we would look at a, a little bit of the, the bigger scope of things now and the feasibility of even Philip Ponder's plan, which we just talked about in the last segment. Joining me now on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is the Athletics Director at Bates College. It's Jason Fine, who's also on the Management Council for Division Three. And Jason, we'll start with just thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, we should give everybody kind of a, a sense of your background. You and I have known each other for a, a number of years. Uh, you have been a coach. You've been a sports information director, which is how I got to know you. Became, uh, worked your way through many institutions. Now your athletics director as Bates, as we mentioned, management council. You'll be chair of the management council come January. Perfect timing uh, <laughs> <laughs> with everything. But you you have a, a general sense of, of how this all works in small college because you've done everything uh, except for athletic trainer, I believe. I, I actually started out as an athletic trainer. <laughs> I was an athletic training major, Dave. So there See, you go. there I, you I, go. I <laughs> you could run your own department all by your lonesome. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I often joke with my colleagues that the reason I became an athletic director is that they ran out of jobs to give me. So, you know, I had to do that. And then I said something early in my career, like, one day I'll be chair of the management council. And one of my coaches said, sure, when there's a global pandemic that shuts down the world. Great. And uh, sure enough, it's my year. Has someone bought the lottery ticket is all I'm asking. <laughs> uh, because at this rate, uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, you'll be a dean of students or a president someday soon. Um, oh, that's right. I, <laughs> please don't wish that on me. Will you go to the dark side? <laughs> no, that, yeah, it's um, good to be for having me. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great chatting with you. I appreciate it. Um, again, you're going to be coming chair of the Management Council, to say the least, the last six months? Um <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'm kind of losing track of time. We've been talking about this topic since early March in terms of how it's affecting um, college sports. It's obviously been a topic for a little longer than that. Um, and, and I get the sense that we have slowly been walking towards what ended up being the decision most recently of Division Three presidents pulling the fall championships and, and canceling those. I, I have a feeling we were walking towards this from when everything got pulled for spring and, and winter. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's probably accurate, Dave. You know, I mean, we, we did our best, and, you know, we're now six months into this, and, and you know, from early March when we when we pulled the plug on the spring, um, you know, many of us, whether it be at the national level, whether it be at a conference level, whether it be at the state level, or just talking with colleagues, we're saying, you know, we're going to plan for the fall. But as we started to plan, you know, you started to see the possibility of a convergence of circumstances that would allow some schools to open, some schools not to open, um, but that certainly was going to mean 
that it would be really difficult to start up athletics in any kind of normal way. So, you know, we were, we went from probably 12 or 10 or eight different contingency plans and you start throwing them away one by one and you start hoping like that only 90% of our work will be thrown away, not 100%. Turned out as we got closer and closer and, um, you know, the, the, the spike started going in the wrong direction and the curve, instead of flattening, started spiking up again, um, you know, as we got closer to summer. Yeah, yeah, as you say, we started marching towards this very real possibility. So I think it was just a confirmation with President's Council and with Board of Governors of what we already knew and had been discussing for a while. What's interesting is I get the sense that obviously March happened and it bought everybody time. Okay, now let's start looking at things in the fall. And everybody I've talked to, from yourself off air to others, you didn't wait to discuss fall. Fall was a quick discussion. It was immediately at the table. And as you said, you had lots of plans there. What what ended up being the the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, that led us to pulling the table because or pulling everything because it wasn't that long ago that I think a lot of people thought we could maybe pull this off. Yeah. Well, I mean, initially, I think we were all in shock, and I think that we were a little bit naive, um, and you know, originally thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go away for a few weeks. We'll come back. Everything will be fine. Uh, now, obviously, looking back, 2020 hindsight, that was a very silly notion. Um, so, you know, as we started to get into the late spring, not even the late spring, probably once we got, you know, hit April, started going, wow, this is going to be tougher than we thought. And we had the first version of the core principles for resocialization that came out from Dr. Hainline and the NCAA. And you said, okay, this, it can be done, but it's going to be rough. Um, as time went on, and I think, uh, you know, Dr. Hainline said this in, in some um, presentations he's done for committees for us, is that once the, the, once the chart started moving up instead of down, you start going, okay, wait a minute, we, these, these principles are not going to work. These rules are not really going to work. And then you had the problems with testing, and is there significant testing? And at the end of the day, you know, we're all looking at the same thing, which is how can we safely um, bring back our student-athletes and, and keep their uh, safety at the forefront. And, you know, we don't have the same issues as, you know, youth sports or pro sports. Mm-hmm. Youth sports, it's, it's, a, it's a parental decision, right? You know that right now there are areas of the country where there are youth tournaments going on and, uh, and parents are bringing their kids there and they're playing baseball or they're playing volleyball, whatever it is. And, um, and then the pro side, you know, that's a job. That's someone's decision to say, hey, I've got to go to work. I'm going to take the risk. I go into the bubble or not in the bubble or whatever, you know, it is. But when you're talking about college and even high school, we're responsible for the health and safety of these students and of these are people's children. And, you know, we really have to keep thinking about that. So that, that really is when you put that at the forefront, it, it makes the other decisions, while painful, it makes them a lot easier, you know. When the President's Council made its decision, it had the Management Council and Championships Committee's um, recommendation of pulling those fall championships um, in front of them. And a good sense is that they were going to make that decision no matter what the Board of Governors decided. Board of Governors just made a formality of saying, oh, go ahead, make your own decision. I get the feeling, being on the Management Council, that that was not an easy decision to say, pull the plug. No, not at all. Um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a group of us, and, and of course we bring our own um, interests of our own institutions and our own conferences and our own, um, you know, lens to things. But we're really tasked with trying 
to do the best we can to represent about 460 institutions um, and student-athletes that are coming from greatly different uh, areas of the country and backgrounds where, you know, the virus may be more prevalent, um, campuses where you have different considerations. So it's really, really a tough thing. Um, but we did, you know, kind of discuss in our meetings that, you know, we were getting to the point where it just seemed that even with, you know, championships committee, uh, we talked about, you know, 60% is about a threshold, depending, you know, if, if 60% of the teams were still participating, would it make sense to have an NCAA championship, you know, uh, by the time we convened again in July, we were getting close to that threshold already of, of schools that were pulling the plug, and you had heard rumors about others um, because schools were now reversing course. They were saying, we're not even going to bring students back. So, um, so yeah, it's super tough, but, uh, again, you know, you're looking at it and you go, okay, we're going to put this recommendation out to the Board of Governors because we wanted to take a stand in Division Three as the largest, most diverse, um, you know, division that – really has students that they are playing for the love of the game. They're not playing for a scholarship. They're not, you know, necessarily going to be going pro. And you've got, you know, a, a whole host of, of considerations. And we're, we're, we really felt that we needed to put that recommendation forth, even though Board of Governors usually would not make a decision to separate out uh, divisions. But, um, and, you know, it turned out that it worked out the way that they did did put it back onto the divisions because President's Council was right on the heels of that meeting. But, but we had made that decision, as you know, a couple weeks earlier. Yeah. Uh, you, you hint at a, a topic I think is worth it. I think we keep forgetting we have a wide diversity of schools. In Division One. I, I think you certainly see it to some extent. Division Two. I think they're a little bit more similar. Division Three, especially without the scholarships and, and the finances and the money behind it, you have a wide range. You have a wide range just in the state of Maine, but what you're experiencing in Maine is not what they're experiencing in L.A. It's not what they're experiencing in Texas and in the Deep South and, and of course, the central part of the country where the ARC at this time is still planning to go forward with a fall schedule. That has got to make it even more difficult when you come together trying to make a decision that's best for the, for the, for the division. It is. And, and, you know, look, you don't want to get political, but it's not different than some of the political arguments you see going on nationwide, mm. whether it be, a, you know, the virus or wearing a mask or, or whatever it is. You know, people do start to naturally kind of question the motives, um, especially when you're talking about people from so many different types of areas. Here in Maine, you know, we're, we're very lucky and, and our, our college is planning on opening up and we've had low, you know, transmission rates. And, you know, part of that has to do with population and how spread out mm-hmm. some folks are. But um, other areas in the south and the west, as you mentioned, and, and more metropolitan cities are really, really struggling. So it's hard to take a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, I do think that was the exception of the ARC, you know, uh, which, you know, more. I, I think that, you know, it'd be really interesting, right? Like maybe they're going to say, ha-ha, you know, we, we had it figured out and all the 43 right. others of you didn't. Um, but, you know, we have to make the decisions that are best for them. You've got schools in Iowa, and maybe they have some similar kind of situations like ours where there's less density and think that they can kind of pull it off. But um, for the most part, the rest of the country it, it, it's not, is not dealing with that. And you're talking about major, you know, metropolitan areas. I'm thinking about, you know, CUNY and the NJAC and the SCIAC. Um, those, are, those are tough areas to try to figure out how you're going to really put uh, intercollegiate competition at the forefront. That's certainly the truth. The other thing that's interesting is because of the wide diversity, you also have schools that are completely fine, right? Well, I don't want to say completely fine, but they're certainly more um, stable financially 
and can make a decision. We look at a Bowden. They decide to pull sports almost immediately. You look at their endowment and go, yeah, they can weather this storm. You look at some other schools that have been hemming and hawing and, and maybe don't want to make this decision. They don't have large endowments. They may not survive not having their athletes participating in sports or not on their campuses. Part of this decision that you guys had to make in the fall may have to make with a winner, whatever the case may be, has a ramification that could that could affect these institutions as well, just keeping their doors open. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point and something that, you know, we talked about a little bit in, in both management council and championships committee. Um, you know, up here in Maine and the NESCAC, yeah, you have a couple of institutions that will be able to make that decision right away, but you don't have to, you know, be a rocket scientist to draw the conclusion uh, and the parallel to the, to the endowment or how they can weather the storm. Um, there are institutions that really rely on, on recruitment of student-athletes to bring in 30, 40 percent of their class. Um, and are not in the same situation. So certainly that's a, a large consideration. But that's why I think, you know, our, our governance structure works well with management council and president's council. You've got a, a variety of opinions in the, in the rooms um, to think about the things that maybe just the ADs are not, you know, trending on, right? But for the most part, you are thinking about overall health of these institutions. We've seen some that have already, unfortunately, you know, either pulled sports uh, shut down their programs, canceled some sports, or in some cases institutions closed. There will be institutions that close over this. And unfortunately, you know, we nobody, I think, could have predicted, um, you know, that we'd be in this situation at this point. Not necessarily that there would be a pandemic. You know, we've talk, heard about experts talking about this for years that maybe we weren't prepared about it, but how it would affect um, pretty much every business and every industry and certainly higher education um, and, and athletics has been, you know, has been hit. I, obviously, we're a winter sports show, but we have a very all-encompassing divisional focus, or not focus, but appreciation and understanding, and we try and talk about the full division sometimes because it, it has its focus on winter. We'll come back to, to where I want to head here. We'll come back to the winter side of this, but, again, you guys pulled the championships from the fall. There were lots of administrators and, and conferences mm-hmm that said, hey, we're just we're going to try and pull off the fall and the spring. Um, you know, whether it's half a season or a full season, we're going to try and pull it off and just do it in the spring. As an admin and as a management council person, how difficult, how feasible is, is that as an option? Because let's also remember the management council and this, the president's council was very specific, canceled the championships. They're not supposedly coming back in the spring to be pulled off. How feasible is it really to make fall happen in the spring with a caveat? Spring didn't get that chance last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a, you hit it right on the head with your last point there. I think that we have to remember that uh, a, a whole subset of, of student athletes and coaches did not get the chance to compete. Now, winter got to finish up most of their season. Unfortunately, you would have liked to see the championships uh, be played. That didn't happen. Um, but spring lost an entire season. So I think, number one, you've got to keep the primary focus on that. Number two, go back to the point about us having so many different institutions. You look at, um, you know, what institutions can actually pull off in terms of trying to run a viable spring season and a fall season at the same time. And you go from a budget standpoint, from a transportation standpoint, from uh, athletic trainers and equipment manager support standpoint, locker rooms, you know, just you name it. It's, it's logistically um, 
for some, a nightmare. I would say at best it's complicated and a, and a large rubber band ball that every time you pull one piece off, it gets tangled to the next issue. Um, and at, at worst, certainly a nightmare. So I think that, um, you know, the, the, the language there was specific to cancel championships. Um, I would not expect uh, that there would be uh, championships in the spring, simply because also keep in mind, aside from what's happening at the institutional level, on the national level, there's a limited championship staff. Right. Sure. And um, yeah. And, and, you know, they have worked so hard to come up with scenarios um, for every possibility. Uh, there was a staggering number uh, that was presented to us in one of our meetings, I think, for the fall between Division One, Two II, and Three. We were slated to have three hundred and seventy three championship sites wow. for some round of an NCAA uh, uh, championship, whether it be Division One, Two II, or Three. So when you talk about the health and safety risks and the mitigation that has to go on, whether it be, you know, cleaning, sanitizing, testing, and the testing is huge, um, the championship staff was already looking at limiting those sites down to a 50 to 75 percent reduction so that you'd have only 25 to 50 percent of those sites. In addition, you would not be able to have, um, in some cases, any fans. In some, you'd have reduced fans. So you would have so much to plan to put on that championship staff as well that I think it makes it really tough. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do anything in the spring, um, but, you know, there's no guarantee that the spring's going to be playing this spring either. And I think that we need to try to keep our mind on that. Obviously, we've got to get through winter first, but every time we tackle one problem, you know, we're, we're, we're always trying to think ahead. And I think coaches are really, you know, starting to go, oh, wait, you know, there's nothing that says we're going to be playing this spring either. I don't want to put that out there in any way to say that I think that's what's going to happen, but you've got to think about the possibilities. Well, to be fair, I think there are some people who were nervous about the fall when the decision in March was made. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I had coaches asking us for sure. And, and, you know, going back to basketball for a second, my, my basketball coaches here were, we talked about it. You know, you could make an argument that basketball is, is tougher to pull off than football. Everybody, and initially, when we were first finding out about the virus, you go, oh, well, football is definitely the toughest. Uh, not really. When you, when you start to learn, and, and gosh, I mean, Dave, I think, think my colleagues and I uh, around the country probably know more about viral loads and transmission of <laughs> droplets, you know, what, what a mask stops, what it doesn't, um, what MERV ratings are for filtration systems and your airflow in your building. It's stuff that they don't teach you in AD school, right? <laughs> but, uh, but it's stuff that we have to know. And as you start to learn about that stuff, you go, wait a minute, you know, basketball is, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, as one other AD pointed out to me, there's, there's things they can put into the football masks as the masks are sitting there, the helmets are sitting there as, as devices to hold things in place. There's, there's nothing uh-huh. there for basketball. Um, certainly makes sense. And of course, we all know basketball is more contact sport than maybe some want it to be. Um, So I I gathered that. Yeah, I I can appreciate that. Real quick, back to the fall. Why is there such a push here to try and do something in the spring with the understanding that, again, there wasn't that effort to say in the spring, hey, we'll just do it in the fall. I understand there's two different academic calendars and that can make an easy comparison. But why is there so much talk about trying to do something in the spring for the fall when we don't normally hear that conversation for any other sport? Yeah, I, you know, I think there are a lot of conversations that we don't usually hear about. Yeah, <laughs> and fair. at this point, we're trying to say, how can we, you know, can we push this uh, and, and salvage this for these student athletes? And I think that a lot of times what some folks don't realize is how much 
you know, certainly they know that student athletes want to be out there competing. The coaches want to be out there competing and administrators want them out there competing. Trust me, we did not get into this business to talk about MERV ratings and viral loads, nor to have any of the general other meetings that we, you know, have 12 hours a day. Um, So we want to see them, uh, you know, out there practicing, competing, doing what they love and and representing their schools. So I, I think, you know, why I think it was too early to, to really think about, well, hey, maybe we could just push this off to the fall. It was like, let's get through this virus thing. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly why there wasn't that conversation and why there is now as opposed to why just there is now. And I think the reason there is now is because we're in a new year and we're going, okay, you know, is it just a 2020 thing? Look, the virus doesn't know what day it is. It's not like on December 31st, it goes, all right, you're all set, guys, and we're out of here. So, yeah. um, you know, so I think that, um, but, you know, logistically, if it could work, um, depending on what happens with the virus and depending on what happens, you know, you want to keep your keep the door open. We did a, a, a talk today with a couple of uh, great doctors from the Mayo Clinic who are, are working on the front lines. They're on the front lines of HIV. They're on the front lines of this virus. Um, and they're saying, look, you know, we've seen very, very promising things with uh, the vaccines. Like, they're, they're, it's record time. It's very promising. But that doesn't mean that uh, you're going to see it in February or March. And we did have a stable, you know, this is, it, it, so far they've gotten to the point where they show it produces the antibodies. That's not where, uh, you know, you start giving it to everybody and everybody's immune from the virus. So, and, and then you have much more at-risk populations than 18 to 22-year-olds that would mm-hmm. need that, you know, first. And you're talking about millions and millions of, of doses. So at this point, we're just, we're still in the mitigation phase Try to stop the transmission, and 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 the truth is, uh, we our primary focus is to get students back here safely, give them an education, and as much as we all care about the intercollegiate athletic experience, the recreational athletic experience, you name it, it's it's not the primary primary focus, um, and I think that's why you see some of the conflict in Division One, right? Because it sure. brings out so many of those arguments <laughs> that we heard about, about, hey, that's pre-pro, that's not intercollegiate, you know, but in Division Three, you really see that because, you know, it's got to fit in its right place. That's a fair point. It's actually not even a fair point. It's a tremendously good point. Um, what what maybe, quote-unquote, stinks about Division One. I'm, I'm using a general term, not my opinion necessarily, um, especially the big power five is is showing through a little too much, maybe, um, and, and we'll see how that plays out this was a little bit of a long walk to get to what we just discussed with philip ponder um from oglethorpe you know a lot of coaches had a lot of ideas about hey maybe we just start the basketball season in january and philip ponder was one of those coaches who put it down on paper and now it's filtrating its way through the college basketball ranks in division three the nabc possibly the wbca i know administrators have heard about this idea you know we just talked about the feasibility of fall into spring is it feasible to possibly shift the basketball season, you know, taking off a little bit of the time um, that it normally would have, about a month's worth of its usual length, and going January to, say, mid to late April with a championship in late April, is it possible to maybe do that? And I'm asking that from your administrative hat, and I'm asking that from your management council hat. Well, you know, let me start by saying that we have not had that discussion yet on the national level. No, certainly, right. Um, you know, my answer is probably the same with, with both hats on in that, you know, I think we would love it if it were possible. I don't think that we rule anything out at this point. 
Um, but I think a lot of things have to fall in place for it to actually happen. I do think it's realistic to say that there's not going to be much of anything going on this fall. Um, so if people could adjust schedules and, and we, we could find a way to play similar to the way we did right before we shut down with, you know, uh, the, the, uh, who was it, Johns Hopkins and schools that decided not to have fans there, right? Could, yes, you, could you do things? Yeah, could you do things without fans? Um, could you test the right way, make sure that you're mitigating the right way and, and have safe, you know, competition? I, yeah, I think it's possible. And I think it's more than just trying to be a, a you know, a cockeyed optimist kind of thing. I think it's, um, it's possible. Um, the question is, can we reach that critical mass of institutions and get the, the backing of conferences and then say, to say, okay, this makes sense. Because even just from the calendar standpoint, you know, we run out of dates before schools are ending right. semesters. We run, and you know we've seen uh, many schools compressing those dates to try to keep people on on campus less. Um, so I think you know we have to kind of see how that plays out. The other thing is venues and championship things. You know, this year we were supposed to have the combined championship, um, that probably you know won't happen. I think it actually may be easier for a Division three championship than a Division one championship because. Sure. It's not like you can just say, hey, Indianapolis, we're going to do it three weeks from now, and can we have the dome and all the hotels? You know. Um, but that said, if you're talking about playing without fans, you could do things on campus sites. You can do pods of you know, regional folks trying to you – know, it's kind of like a Major League Baseball uh, you know, type of situation where you're trying to keep people close. Um, but you know, I think a lot of things have to happen. And, and so, so while I say yes, I do think actually from, from an administrative standpoint, I like the idea from a management council standpoint – I would certainly want to discuss the idea, sure. but I also know we've got to we've got to get through a lot of things this fall yes. um, to see where we're at. And, you know, we're all watching Major League Baseball pretty closely. We've seen a couple of <laughs> seen a couple of yeah. outbreaks. Um, nobody, uh, you know, more than us wants to see us get through those sixty games and get to that what I think is a ridiculous playoff schedule that they came up with, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a story for another podcast. Um, but you know, I think that you know we we've got to see if they make it make it there. You know. Um, it, it, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and, and I do agree it should be talked about. One concern is that the NCAA, and I'm using that term generically, as anyone knows, I know it's not indie, it's it's Division Three in this case in membership, but you talked about how many people it takes to put off, pull off championships in general in the NCAA. Is it possible to break the mold and, and say, listen, this is what we have normally done. You know, we've canceled championships. We haven't necessarily moved them. Can we move championships and in this case a month's period of time just to, to try and make something like this work is that an option do we know if it's an option well i don't think we know but here's what we know you know I, I, as a as a as a new administrator several times in my career i come into a new, new place and you know you hear this all the time right well that's just always the way we've done it here or we've yes. never done it here before yeah and you know that's the stuff you try to fight against so this is something where there is no playbook for this, right, with COVID-19. Um, I think we have a really dedicated staff at the NCAA um, from uh, all divisions. Uh, from, we've, we've gotten, you know, presentations from, from uh, Joni Comstock, her staff, Liz Susha, who works with us on the D3 Championships Council. They're, they're incredible. Um, so I would say it's about actually, you know, thinking of this, uh, this is dramatic, but, you know, it's kind of like in World War II, right, where they had to say, okay, your factory no longer does this. Now it does this. It helps the war effort. 
I think that you put good people who know what they're doing and you put them on different scenarios. So can things be done? I think anything can be done. You get the right people in the right place um, and, and give them the, you know, let them go and try to figure out how to make it happen. So um, I would say, you know, we have to prioritize folks' time. And maybe it's instead of saying, you know, well, what percentage would we need to pull off this thing in the old way? Um, instead say, wait, hey, what's a new way we might be able to do this? So Mm. I think, you know, it's a possibility, but everybody's got to kind of get into a creative space and say, all right, for the good of the student-athletes and the good of what we're trying to do, we'll think differently. And I think that there's a, you know, there's NCAA gets a bad rap. Um, The NCAA is not a person. It's not Dr. Emmert. It's not um, a big – the NCAA is us. We are the the membership organization that would not run without the governance structure that's made up of – you know, ADs, coaches, FARs, presidents, ADRs, who all get together and try and, and help, you know, give a great experience for these student-athletes. So I think that um, we have to kind of remember that. And I think throughout this whole thing, you know, the, the folks in Indianapolis have been in a bit, little bit of a no-win situation. I think, you know, Mark Emmert, Dr. Hainline, Donald Remy, all these folks have come in, and they're, they're working really, really hard. And I don't think that they would take anything off the table that would necessarily try to make the experience better. I do find it humorous sometimes. Everyone's like, well, we're waiting for the for NCA to give us guidance. And I'm looking, I'm going, you're the guidance. You, right. You're the membership. You're the one who's going to make this decision. But I, I also understand we're in a new world. And I think people are still trying to understand, is it something Indy should just step up and say? Or is it sometime where membership should just go to Indy going, we need to do this? Um, you talk about getting together, uh, everybody um, talking with one another. It just recently came out. The NCAA convention, which was slated for Washington, D.C., um, this upcoming January, will not take place there. It will be virtual. Uh, and we'll talk later in the show, or from my own personal point of view, the logistics of that. But you don't get now that chance to, quote, unquote, come together. But I also know from talking to you, you've had lots of meetings um, through Zoom and Skype or whatever avenue is needed. What's been the pros and the cons of all of this? Yeah, you know, it, it's so tough um, as, as folks who are used to being on the road, right, whether yeah. you're athletes, coaches, ADs. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been uh, here in, in the lovely state of Maine. As you know, I'm a New York City guy. So, yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of live between those two worlds. I've been here now. I'm in, in month number six of being grounded in, in Maine. <laughs> Maybe I'm losing a little bit of my edge. I'm not sure. Um, but, it, it, you know, I really do think, that part of what we do and traveling and, and having, you know, things like the NCAA convention and meeting folks at, at contests, it really helps us get in that creative space. It helps us share information in a way you cannot do when you're looking at a screen. You cannot do it when you're on the phone. Anybody who's been on conference calls with more than three people, never mind 10 or 15 or 20, you know it's just, it's just human nature not to be able to totally focus on that. So when you get to the, you know, you know, cause you've been to these things, mm-hmm. they, they, it's not just about being in a session that's talking about a certain thing. It's meeting at dinner or lunch oh, or yeah. for drinks later and, and great ideas happen, great connections happen. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, we're losing a little bit of that right now. I'm, I'm hoping that it comes back. We know for the NCAA because of just, you know, financial needs, um, we won't be meeting in person for a while. Uh, but, you know, I think that, that losing the convention is, is definitely, um, it, it takes a hit. There's some, that's something you could rely on every year. Everyone was going to get into that space, and you actually have, 
kind of a timeless tradition of, you know, voting on things up and down mm-hmm. and seeing, as you mentioned before, that people don't know the way the organization works. If you don't have that convention, you lose that, um, you know, that really inside uh, info, based, you know, inside baseball info into how the organization works. Sure. So it's going to put us in a tough position right now um, because that's probably not changing for the next several months, you know. Yeah, probably true. Wrapping things up here with uh, Jason Fine, Athletics Director, for Bates College, and will be the chair of the Management Council after serving a few years already on that group here coming up starting in January, right ahead of that convention, uh, or right around the time of that convention, I should say. Um, As a wrap-up, where do you think things are going from here, or or what should we be realistically ready for? It's a a, a very interesting question. I think that each day I probably change my mind a little bit on that. Um, I think we have to be ready for for more uh, of the unexpected. You know, today, if you look at the news and we watch the numbers every day, uh, just like everybody else does, and depending on where you get your news, you'll, you might get a little bit of a different view. Um, but things are, are looking better for August than they were for July um, in areas of the country. You know, the, the problem that we tend to have, and again, without getting political, that once things start to get better, we start to relax, mm-hmm. right? So what we're doing here at Bates, right, is that when you're on campus, you're wearing a mask. When you're in an office, when you're out, whatever it is, wherever you cannot maintain your distancing, you're wearing a mask. We've got, we've got signs all over the place to keep distance, to wash your hands, to do this, because it almost has to become like a Pavlovian you know, response mm-hmm. that we just change the way we do things for a while, because it's human nature to just flip back and go, things are going to be okay, and it's starting to get better now. So even if you take out, you know, the political piece of it, that's just human nature. Um, and, and I think what we saw was it can get bad really quickly again. And when that happens, it affects us all, no matter what business you're in, no matter what institution you work out, no matter what sport you coach, it affects us all in a negative way. Um, so I think that, you know, we have to proceed very cautiously um, and expect that, it, you know, we're going to be inconvenienced for a while. Um, but but that's the only way we're going to kind of come out of this on the other side and get back to doing what it is that we that we love. So I think from from a national standpoint, you know, if we're going to be meeting uh, a lot. We, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, relief for student athletes that you've already started to see. You're going to see some you know unconventional uh, things that we we try to put in place to to make the experience better. Um, but it's it. I think the other thing that we need to see is is some creativity and. Suggestions, you know, how many bosses you've had who say, hey, don't just bring me problems, bring me solutions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great that, that coaches' organizations are starting to go, hey, here's a possibility, and we know it may not be possible. What can we do? You know, every administrator can't come up with every possibility. We have 31 sports here. If I had to come up with all the mm-hmm. contingencies for all 31 sports without my coaches helping, you know, that's not going to work very well. I, and I don't know the in, the intricacies of every sport as they do. They're the experts. So, you know, I've always uh, been told to surround myself with people smarter than me. That's what I try to do. It's not that hard in my case. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, we need good people being creative and helping us helping us get through this. Fascinating perspective. I, I appreciate it. Before I let you go, uh, I felt in March the Rudy, Rudy Gobert moment was the, was the moment that broke everything. Uh, the NCAA had already moved towards, you know, saying that, D1 championships weren't going to have fans. D3 had moved towards removing fans from the buildings from championships other than just Amherst uh, and, uh, and Johns Hopkins and other than just individual school decisions. But Rudy Gobert testing positive 
pulled the plug in the NBA, and it was a domino effect. And by the end of March 12, everything was done. I, I get the feeling that fall sports and and the and the future of the winter and spring sports came unglued when we finally got the information on what testing would be. Can can you give us a sense if that's accurate and just how daunting that is for an institution? Yeah, absolutely good point. And I think that when you saw, uh, if, if you hadn't already made the decision, once you saw the revised guidelines and the amount of the, the way that you need to do testing, I think that, you know, definitely um, sealed the deal for, for a lot of the rest of the folks. Um, you know, I've been involved, and I think every, every institution, every conference is handling a little bit differently. Um, we're doing very rigorous testing here, all of our students and faculty and staff, you know, a couple times a week. Um, and, you know, if you watch the science of it, um, that helps you uh, when you don't have a true bubble, um, right. that helps you uh, eliminate uh, outbreaks and, and spread uh, before people are symptomatic. These tests are very, very sensitive during the first few days of infection before people start to show symptoms. Um, so, uh, you know, chances are people are going to show symptoms, you know, after the fourth day, maybe between days five and nine. So if you day, test on day one, test again on day four, you're negative both times. Now you know you're keeping virus away. So um, that, that's kind of our plan. Um, that's for all students. I know that every institution can't do that and doesn't do that. Right. But when you're talking about sport, you need to uh, be somewhere within the 24. You know, I think the NCAA was in between that 24 and 72-hour range. 72 is probably the max, which is what, what the recommendations, uh, you know, said. But even in 72 hours, um, you're relying on maybe better testing, and testing's getting better every day, every week, every month, um, and more. You know, so so I think that testing is the only way that we get this going because you have to also play against institutions that have similar strategies on testing as you do. So if the NCAA championship has one uh, unified approach to testing, you know everyone will be getting the same testing. But you have to get to that point in your individual you know, seasons and conferences and, and during that time. So, uh, you, you know, the testing was definitely uh, something that I think folks looked at and said, hey, this is not only cost prohibitive, but really, really involved in how we do this. And we've been working on that at our small institution of, you know, less than 2,000 students for the last four months. How we, you know, we, we have a testing center in our ice arena. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the new normal, you know. Yeah, it is the new normal, and I think we all have to just get a sense that we're not going back to the old, uh, even if the new normal doesn't stay quite the way it is now. Um, lots of time with you. Really appreciate it. Great insight. Um, I, I could talk to you about how this could change web streaming and how this can this is going to affect budget challenges and all that. Maybe topics for another time when we get a better sense of what's coming down the sure. road. But I, I appreciate the time as always, and, and I wish you luck. Um, from an administrative point of view there at Bates, from, from whatever you're doing in the NESCAC in the state of Maine, but also from the uh, entirety of Division Three from the Management Council. So, And again, thanks for the time. As always, though, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Yeah, well, once again, thanks, thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking to you, and I'm happy to come back and talk about all those topics uh, that you mentioned, which are, are near and dear to me also. Um, but, you know, I, I think that you know, final word is probably appropriate for, for this fall is probably, you know, patience. I think that this is going to be a tough time. It's been a tough time. People are, people are fed up with COVID and they're tired of sitting around and not being able to operate normally. And I think that, you know, we tend to look for folks to blame. Hey, your friendly neighborhood athletic director, top of the list. I get it. 
Um, you know, but I think that whether it be coaches, whether it be presidents, whether it be NCAA or, or administrators, um, everyone, you know, we, we, none of us got into this business, like I said, to sit in meetings and figure all that other stuff out. We all want the same thing and we all want great experience. But I think that the only way we get through this, and I've, I've said this on, on Zoom meetings with our student athletes over the last couple of months, um, is that we get through it together and we do it with kindness. We do it with consistency. We have, to, we have to be nice to each other. We have to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We need to be patient. Um, and I know that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, it's certainly not the easiest thing for my 14-year-old to do. It's not the easiest mm. thing for me to do or any of us. But um, this is, this is going to be, you know, uh, a group effort. And I think this idea that we will get through this together has been said so much that it starts to kind of wear off. That's really true. So, so Dave, I, I wish everybody the best. And I, I just hope that, um, you know, that we'll come through this stronger on the other side. Well said, sir. Well said, indeed. Take care of yourself. Uh, enjoy, and we will look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you so much, Steve. Absolutely. He's Jason Fine, Athletics Director from Bates and Management Council Member for Division Three on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, Jason Fine joining us here on the Hoopsville Podcast. And we're known for in-depth conversations and interviews, and, and that one certainly was, and I appreciate all the time he took to talk about all those topics. Um, a, a lot's changing even now on a minute by minute basis. So a lot of what we might've talked about in a week or two time might be a little bit dated, but I hope it's, it's a good insight on from a, a, a divisional side of things and from a school side of things of, of what everyone's dealing with, with this and, and really taking that Philip Ponder idea. Can we move it forward? Can basketball end up shifting its season? Well, let's at least talk about it. We need to get it to the national level, though. And so, again, reach out to Philip Ponder if you have ideas. Reach out to myself um, or whoever you need to about shifting, that the plan's out there. Let's see how we take that plan, massage how we need to massage it, and move it forward to possibly pull this off with the understanding that there are challenges, legitimate challenges out there of making it work. When we come back, we're going to throw out the parachute, as we mentioned earlier, take a hard right-hand turn and slow things down and talk about something completely different. The All-Decade team is out for D3Hoops.com. On the women's side, Gordon Mann will join me to talk about how he got it all to come together. He did most of the work on it while the rest of us helped him. Men's not out yet, but we'll talk women's all-decade team with Gordon Mann coming up. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More of the Midsummer Podcast when we come back. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important. But as we work so hard to build both mind and body, 
It's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Welcome back to Hoops Film. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, as we uh, look to uh, wrap things up here with a little bit of a sidebar from our earlier topics. Uh, the COVID conversation obviously started back in March, and I think we needed a little bit of a, a sidetrack. And Gordon, being the smart man that he is, realized, hey, there's an all-decade team to talk about. He joins us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoops Hotline because, Gordon, you've already done the heavy lifting. You got the women's out the door. Sir, this was, this was hard work. I applaud you. Uh, did you realize you'd have as much time on your hands as you had? Uh, <laughs> you know, I figured that I would have enough time for the, for the women um, in, in the spring once it happened. Uh, what I did not anticipate having is a bunch of time in the fall as well. You know, I, I, I uh, you know, with the college sports, there's not much that goes on, obviously, in the summertime. Uh, but I had been hopeful, like a lot of people, that the fall would bring some some return to, uh, to normality, and that has clearly not happened. <laughs> no, yeah. no. Um, I'm curious. I want to start in a couple different places, but first and foremost, we should point out our first decade team were the first decade of D3 hoops. This is the right. second decade team of an actual decade now, we're yeah. <laughs> 2010 to 20, 2020. So there's a small little gap there of, of players right. – who may have missed out, and we'll make sure to recognize them later. But we do have kind of an oddity there. Yeah, we do. You know, it's one of the things where when it came around ten years ago, it was you know kind of tossed and turned on: do you do the decade so that it matches what everybody else would recognize as a decade, which is what we did this year, or do you do the decade, you know, relative to our twenty years covering sports? And we do have. The funny thing is, you know, the more you wait, the bigger the gap gets, the more players fall through it. Yeah. So. Um, this time what we tried to do was say, if you played at all in this decade, even if it was your senior season in 2009, 2010, that you would be eligible. So really we covered the, the majority of the players, you know, there's about a two year gap and there's, there's some really good players on that list that, that you mentioned that will, will have to come back to. And some players that were too new for the last all decade team, um, you know, someone like, Mia Daniels from Howard Payne, mm -hmm. who was player of the year, um, but was really still too new, was still playing her career when we did that team. And um, we didn't have anybody on our team last uh, the last time around or this time who were, who were active, right, who right. were had played two or three years and, and accumulated a couple of All-Americans. Um, so it, 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 as far as the gap, we will come back to some of those players who were some really good ones like Jessica McEntee from uh, – from NYU oh, and wow. Leanne Burke from DeSales and uh, uh, Julia Hersing from from Stout. So there there's some good players. We'll find a way to uh, to recognize them. I think you know, depending on how you want to look at it, I think we'll have plenty of time to do that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing uh, before before we have. <laughs> Before we have active basketball again, I was going to say you mentioned earlier about having some time this fall. Uh, yeah. We'll get yeah. that all gap group together uh, <laughs> yeah. here, here soon. Um, one thing that jumps out at me with this was some of these are easy. Obviously, some are tough. I, but the, mm -hmm. the entire list is a who's who of players that garnered our attention on any given night they went out on the on the court. There isn't anyone on here like, oh, I forgot about that person. It, right. this is, these are names that are synonymous with what's been so great about basketball the last 10 years. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're fortunate on the, on the women's side in that, you know, when we're, I know we're working on the men's side now, but on the women's side, almost all of these players had at deep runs into the tournament. Mm-hmm. So second weekend or more, um, a bunch of them won national championships, a bunch of them won more than one. Um, a lot of them played against each other in the, in the, uh, because they were on really good teams that got really far. You could go uh, not just for the conference rivals who played each other, um, but you could go, you know, Chelsea Schwears played against mm. Amherst and, you know, Brandy Dawson played against Thomas Moore. And, and you could, you could do that because they had those, uh, that overlap between them. And that, that made it, um, it, it made the selections a little easier, but it also, um, I think spoke to the fact that, you know, it's pretty rare in Division Three women's basketball that you have a super elite player who doesn't get to the NCAA tournament, right? Who just right. does it. And, and that happens relatively, uh, not all the time, but, but, you know, often enough where the best players in Division Three just may not be in a good program for a men's team or yeah. maybe in an ultra-competitive conference where it's just tough to crack through and get, into the NCAA tournament, and even if you get into the NCAA tournament, you may get a bad matchup in your first round and be done. Yeah. And so, you know, I know we're not talking about the men here, but you get somebody like Ty Saban, who had a great career, who, you know, did not really have do that much remarkable in the NCAA tournament and didn't make it a bunch of times. So. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. The, the women's side, the other thing, too, you're starting to allude to, they're going to probably play against each other, too. Right. Sometimes yeah. on the men's side, a freak loss or something, and we don't get those matchups. But yeah. um, I want to start at the top because when you look at this this first team, jeez, you know, Sydney Moss, you mentioned Chelsea Swears, Madison Temple, uh, Melissa Melissa Toby, and Clissa, uh, Carissa Verkiek. I, I can say her name, really, I can. Now, of course, it's Ratliff <laughs> out of Calvin. Right, yeah. I mean, these four dominated their time frames when they played and that includes Madison Temple, who had a very small overlap, I think, with, with Sydney. These players were, were were the talk of the town every single season they strapped up. Yeah, they had they had really won the bulk of, of their awards. You have, you have Justice Trophy winners, you have Justice Trophy finalists. Um, you know, you have uh, all of them, uh, with the exception of Verkaik, went to the Final Four, and Verkaik was easy. Because in the history of our uh, of the website, whatever it is, almost 25 years now, we've only ever had two players on the women's side be All-American all four times, yeah. Leah Solkowski from Washington and Jefferson and Carissa Verkaik from Calvin. So, you know, Moss was easy, Schwears was easy, Verkaik was easy, uh, and, and you know, Toby didn't quite have the, the same kind of – she never won a national championship, right. um, but she was multiple-time All-American and, and was really – uh, you know, the dominance that, that Montclair State had in this region and in, in that conference uh, was remarkable. And, and when you have, really the way we did this is we looked for which players have been first-team All-American and All-American won at least one other time, um, and then which, team, which players had been player of the year uh, so that, you know, you could recognize someone like Olivia Lett who had uh, just one, had one All-American season, but also was player of the year and won a national championship. Yeah. So um, was not it was not just one remarkable season, but you know one national championship season. Yeah, I should have gone to that earlier, but I so badly wanted to talk about that first team. Um, kind of the parameters you set that I mean they're not perfect, but what it mm-hmm. what kind of was your process 
to start and put this together outside of obviously they had to play between 2010 right. and 2020, but where did you try and build the fence lines as it were yep. to, to kind of corral everybody in? So uh, you had to be, to be in, even in consideration, you had to again have been an all American um, more than once with a, with a first team um, or an all American or a national player of the year and, there weren't too many players of the year who didn't make the team. Um, and they were all the more recent ones uh, who, the, you know, the tiebreaker being uh, Olivia Lett won a national championship and the other two, uh, the other two players who were player of the year, unfortunately, including Erica Di Candido, who didn't mm. really get a chance, um, didn't, didn't win a national championship. Um, and uh, if you just say, okay, I'm going to start by looking at everybody who's an all-American First team once, so I want to know that they were one of the best five players in the country at least once, and then a mul- and then an All American multiple times. You fill up twenty three of the twenty five spots, <laughs> so you're you're, well, almost, you're done. You're almost <laughs> done, right? So the 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 only two exceptions you had is you go, okay, all right. Well, who didn't make All American first team, but was second or third team a lot, right? More than more than twice. Uh, and Nicole Werdeman is is the only one who really fits that pattern. So, and you want to recognize somebody from New England who didn't play in the NESCAC. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and so she fills one spot. And then you say, okay, let me look at my players of the year and see how their team did. And Olivia Wett was national player of the year in the national championship. So yeah. it actually filling out the twenty five. Whether were if you had had a Six team all you know all decade. You would have been able to get some really uh, some other really great players on the list. Finding the twenty five wasn't too hard. Uh, ordering them was tougher sure. um, because you had you had players who played together head to head, and you had to kind of say, okay, you know, Melissa Toby and Montclair State played Kyra Day on and FDU Florham, and FDU Florham won that game and went to the national championship. How do I justify having Melissa Toby be first team and Kyra Day on be fourth team? Right, yeah. I've seen that head-to-head matchup, um, or you know, all the times that Lisa Murphy and Alexandra Leslie played each other in the UAA. Mm-hmm. Saw that matchup. Uh, uh, Carrie Snickers and Carissa Verkite, those yep. two players played against each other. So um, that that made it, um, it made the ordering challenging, but but fun. And I I think. Um, and from what everything I heard from all of the players we reached out to, and I did, I reached out to not quite all 25, but most of them, uh, and heard back from a lot of them. It, it wasn't going to matter. <laughs> they were, they were, one, they were surprised because a lot of them, and I think you'll see this big difference between the women's side and the men's side. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have really left basketball behind, right? They're, they're, you have a couple who are assistant coaches. You have two who are head coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, one at D3 and then uh, Laura Avan at, at, uh, at Lipscomb. Uh, in D1, but a lot of them are something else. Yes. Doctors, you know, mathematicians, uh, there's it's a very heavy doctors, four or five who are in the medical profession. Um, you know, you do have a, a couple who are assistant coaches, but most of them probably haven't thought about basketball in a competitive way in a long time. True. So they were, they were happy to hear from us um, and just honored to be included. And, you know, again, I know we're not talking about the men. I've only reached out to one guy, on the on the on the men's side, um, he's he's an obvious shoe in to be all to be all decade. You look at the list, you go, okay, well, he's obviously on it. Yeah. He was surprised to be on it. So, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna look forward to that note when I read it. So, um, 
you know, I think by and large the, the, the people were, were, um, were really happy. Um, you know, nobody asked what, what team they were going to be on. And I think it gave them and their coaches in a, at a time where, look, if you're a sports information director, so we're in the athletic department, all your news is bad news at this yeah. point. So something to celebrate, um, even if it was, was involving players who, um, you know, hadn't suited up in a long time. I know you were, you were, you did a lot of the work and we kind of did the, the oversee part, you know, mm-hmm. looked over your thoughts. And I remember the first time you presented it and I, and you made some changes after that. I remember looking through it and going, geez, Gordon, I, I ain't got any bright ideas here. You, you pretty much nailed it. But again, you described how a lot of that kind of pieced together on its own. Was there, was there anything, was there any one particular matchup or was there any one particular thought you had that, that bugged you a little bit more? And I don't, you don't need specifics. I just mean that you found to be the most challenging aspect of it. Yeah, some of the some of the head to head stuff. So again, I I, I looked um, I looked really hard, uh, and, and uh, all of these players. The other thing is because they all basically made the final four at some point or had deep tournament runs. Sure, I saw almost all of them in person, so that gave me the opportunity to write about them and say, you know, I remember how Caroline Caroline Stedman dribbled, and I remember how wow. Abby Owings rebounded, and I remember how. Hannah Spaulding passed, and I, so or Olivia Lett shot. I remember what that shot looked like and how yeah. that shot looked different from Chelsea Schwer's shot, which you know was like the one dribble three from the, from her chest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made it fun because I could splice in and and do a little bit more um, of of the, uh, of the of the inner person of the. This is what it looked like to watch this person actually play, and not just say. She won this award. She had this many points. She, you know, she just give you the dry, dry run of the list. But what made it harder then is, you know, someone like Kyra Dayon, who in my mind was much higher than fourth team. And, you know, we're still talking about one of the 20 best players and the thousands that played. But like kind of like how to, when I looked at the number, when I tried to say, okay, I saw a lot of Kyra. Um, Let me take a step back from her career and just, Look at what the spreadsheet shows me. How many times was she All American? How many times was she Player of the Year? How many times was she was she Conference MVP? That sort of thing. And and because these are all players, almost all of them, I didn't see Sam Barber play. There, there were a couple that I I, I didn't see. Um, but because I had seen almost all of them, I had to go back to some of the some of the cold hard facts in the spreadsheet and say, okay, in my head, this player is here. But when I look at how they were evaluated, sometimes next to each other, I, I can't. That's not how they. That's not how we actually evaluated them when they played. And right. you know, nothing has changed since they. These two players haven't played a game of basketball in five <laughs> years. One of them's not better than the other one now, right? right. So, um, so it was that sort of thing. Well, it's interesting too, and we should point out again: it's a team we think can take the, the court. So it's right. not five yep. guards. It's not five centers. You might yeah. have two centers on the second team, but you know one of them certainly a little bit more versatile. But you might see yeah, that take I tried place to keep too. It, yeah, I tried to keep it so that if you had two centers, one of them was like Kerry Snickers, who could play the guard position. I did try and think, you know, and obviously you don't you have, you have no idea how these players would actually mesh together. But I right. did try and make sure that the backcourt wasn't too small, or you didn't have two players who stood back to back and played a traditional post you know, and, and, or, or three and on the same team. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how well I did that, but I have a feeling that um, any, any uh, matchup problem or any uh, strategic problem you may have created, the, the, 
if you had any of these teams on the floor, these five players, you would have been you would have been winning a lot of games. Regardless, you wouldn't have needed much coaching from me to win games with <laughs> with any of these units on the floor. But it also uh, a thing that jumps out of me is is the teams that have been consistently good for the last ten years, give or take. Right. Yeah clearly yep. step in here. You've got Thomas Moore, who had three, Moss and Temple yep. in the first team. No surprise, Abby Owings um, in that third team, proving that Thomas Moore was more than the Sydney Moss show, which we've been yep. saying for years. You've got Amherst in there for three themselves. Um, these were the best teams, and yes, right. you don't have the entire team on there, but their best players stood out enough to get on here, too. Yeah, yeah and that was that was part of it, you know, some of the teams, like Amherst teams, which were very deep um, and were very kind of evenly, uh, the talent was evenly distributed mm-hmm. in those cases. Um, you know, still, if you won National Player of the Year, that certainly made it easier. But, um, you know, the player who kind of defined that team or you could look at the big games they had or was, yeah. you could even go back in some cases and see who was captain and who wasn't, that that that, um, that made it easier. You sure. know, the other, weird, the other weird kind of through line here, a lot of these players played with their sister, which was very yes. strange. Like Toby. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, so Toby Dayon played with her twin sister. That's right. Uh, Doswell played with her twin sister. Um, Hannah Spaulding uh, did. Yep. Uh, Christopher Kike played with two sisters. Yes, she did. Uh, it, it, was, it was funny how many, and some of these players, like Brianna Verkike was an All-American, but I didn't remember the third Verkike. <laughs> you know, uh, Kate, Melissa Toby and her sister were both very, very good. Kyra and Carol were both very, very good. Meredith and Allie. But some of these sisters I didn't even remember. It was just kind of interesting. Or, or to read, like, to remind myself, why did Carissa Verkike, who babysat for Brian Morehouse, <laughs> whose head coach in high school is now the AD at Hope, who grew up in Holland and went to Holland Christian, how did she end up at Calvin and then go, oh, well, her dad went there, right? It, right. She was it, it, that family connection. You're going to see that. I think the two big differences you're going to see from the women's and the men's team is there's a lot more family through lines in the women's. And there's, I, I, I think what we're going to find is there's a lot, a lot fewer of these women's players are still doing something associated with the game. I think, you know, I I can't speak for whether they're playing recreationally or not, obviously, but teachers, doctors, mathematicians, I think you're going to see a lot more of them going pro in something other than basketball. Hmm. I think I've heard that uh, promo somewhere. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, and again, fascinating set of players here. Um, When you start going through the decade, and obviously, there's always misses, uh, not misses necessarily, but hard decisions sure. on who can not get yeah. in and, and who can't. And again, we, we hold these teams to five each, uh, including the honorable mentions. And, and I know uh, those decisions are tough, but I mean, I would, I would pay money to watch Moss, Schweers, Temple, Toby, Verkake take to the floor, or even Dawson, uh, Dawson McDaniel, Stedman, Snickers, and Langer. I, I mean, yeah. these teams are full of groups that I would love to have seen on the floor once. And now we finally have an all-star game that kind of can put that together. Right. But some yep. of these, some of these duos or these groupings are just fascinating. And I wish we could have gotten to see play. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would, it, at least, at least for a lot of them, you've seen them play at least somebody else on the list there. Are, I don't know that there's really anybody on the list who didn't play against at least one of the other ones. Um, and, uh, you know, you you did you did have the opportunity, so they you're, they're not you're not going to have players who were kind of isolated or or didn't 
didn't right. touch on the other ones. But uh, yeah, it was fun, and it was it was fun. We made it the last time we did this in two thousand and six or seven. Uh, there was no Facebook, there was no LinkedIn, <laughs> there was no Twitter. It was. It was, was so no, infant, though. <laughs> yeah. So there was there was really no way to reach out to any of the players other than the one, uh, you know, Susie Bennett was the head coach at Mount Union and still right. is. So that made her easy to find. Um, this time around, with a few clicks of the mouse, you could find everybody. I found almost, I think I found, actually I did, the last one was a little harder to find, but I, um, but I got her married name from somebody and I found her too. Nice. Uh, um, but that made it fun to reach out to them and to see what they were up to, to hear from them. Um, to hear from their coaches, uh, most of which are still in basketball, but yeah. um, some of which, like Michael Meek or Mark Mitchell, who aren't in D3 anymore, to, no. to connect back with them well, uh, and, and to see how they're doing. High, a little higher up now. Or is for yeah, some of a little, little higher. Little, little higher up, yep. Yeah. Uh, I could talk to you forever about this. Obviously, you've hinted at the men's one. That will be coming out soon, um, as soon as we quit putting our heads through a wall about it. Um, yeah. And I mean that in a good way. It. it yeah. It's it just, takes, it's tough. Yeah, and it take, what takes the most time is, and what we tried to do differently this time is, I really wanted this to have the feel for the women of a Hall of Fame online. Oh, I wanted a player to be able to take her profile, which just has her link, to send it to somebody and say, hey, you know, look at this. You know, so nice. I know I keep mentioning her because I, I know a little bit more about her, but, you know, <laughs> Tyra Dayon's getting married in like a month or two, right? She could send this around and say, Hey, look at, you know, look at this. It's, um, so creating that where you get the photos, where you get the stories, where you get some quotes to really treat this, not like a listicle, right. You know, you know, number three will blow your mind, you know, but it's, but to, but to create something that the player and the school can link back to if they want to. And five years from now, will still be like a standalone piece. That just takes some time. Yeah. <laughs> it takes some time to reach out to these players. Um, you know, some of them, like Carissa Verkike, emailed me back within like 12 hours. Others of them, you know, understand <laughs> it took some more days. time. Uh, yeah, but it, it takes some time to track them down. It takes some time to track some of their coaches down. But we think, unfortunately, for, you know, for worse, not for better, we're going to have that time. Um, and so at least we're trying to use it to create something um, that puts a smile on people's face for you know, a few minutes. Yeah. I'll say this uh, for the guy who was probably the last one to join social media in our grouping, Gordon, you, um, you, you take full advantage of this, of the medium uh, to get this accomplished. And I tip my hat to you for sure. I, I love it. Felt a little weird to be tracking players down through LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. It's probably, probably <laughs> not the best new, way to describe that. New, yeah. I made some new quote unquote friends. I don't know that we'll have anything to share ever again. But. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, and the profiles absolutely worth reading. Uh, there are some gems in there and, and it's outstanding. So bravo to you and a nice template to go for us men to get that done. And, and we'll, uh, go on from there. Uh, before I leave you, uh, we'll, we'll try and get the gang together. Maybe as we approach what may not be the normal start to the season. Um, uh, what I mean is sometime in October, maybe we'll get everybody together or something, but in the meantime, since March, since we last talked, just your thoughts on D three, the the sports, what we might see with basketball. Have you have you had taken the time to try and um, put things in pockets, as it were, and, and figure out how this is all being planned out? 
you know, over the course of doing this, because I, because we started the, the all decade team in like May or April, maybe late April. And you could tell by the last few coaches that I reached out to, they all responded with concern whether there was going to be a season. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't, I won't point them out. No, I mean, no. That was, you know, they were private conversations, but you could tell from the folks that you, that we reached out to at the end, that was somewhere in there about their concerns. And, you know, we, you and I were chatting, uh, this will be old news probably by the time this airs, but you know, now the, now the power five conferences are starting to talk about shutting down football and all sports, yeah. not just football, but all, or at least all high contact sports. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to know how it's hard to see how this gets resolved entering cold and flu season, which is traditionally when you play basketball. Yeah, no. and, and in a humid environment usually because of everybody's right. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I some schools more humid depending if they have a pool under them, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. Uh, I haven't seen too many basketball courts with big giant windows that you can open, <laughs> or that you would you know, want like to. Like Roanoke, which has a beautiful window, but you can't open that window no. to get ventilation. So. Good point. Uh, I always enjoy chatting with you. Thanks so much. Great yep. job on this. Um, look forward to getting you back on coming down the road, and we'll find something else to talk about. Like what is it going to be this season? Uh, in, sure. the, in the turn, in the meantime, uh, take care of yourself and the family. And as always, we give you the final word. And any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Hey, well, no, thanks. Thanks for you. Those of you who are still, uh, we're still listening, whether you're coaches or players, uh, you know, our thoughts are, our thoughts are with you. And I know, um, you know, if you are a coach and you want to play the games and you live to recruit, you know, a bunch of the coaches, whatever players, when I reached out to them, they were on the recruiting trail. I know this must be tremendously difficult, you know, to lose seasons, um, to lose that and, and to really see this thing that you've, this, that you're this passion and this thing that you've you've invested your life into uh, go on hold. So, uh, you know, just a, just a note of, of, uh, of sympathy to the, to the coaches out there and, and, and the players and the trainers and the sports information directors, um, that, you know, your thoughts are with you in the, through the, through a very difficult time. Well said. Thanks for your time, sir. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right. He Thanks, is, Steve. He is Gordon Mann joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate Gordon taking the time to join us to talk about that. A little bit of a, a right-hand turn from uh, what we were discussing earlier in the show. Longer conversation than I thought I was going to have with him about it. Um, but he's got so much great knowledge, especially on the women's side of things. Fun to get his perspective on it all. Uh, when we come back, we'll button everything up. We'll put a, a, a ribbon on things, as it were, if that's even possible right now. Try and uh, wrap things up with a, a few other notes. Give you a sense of what might be coming ahead. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More after this. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. 
It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Midsummer edition of the show as we uh, spend this last block just putting a, a button on everything, as it were, for this show. If you've got any questions for us in the offseason or any other time or want to follow us along, find out when the next podcast might be or other projects that we may be working on. Follow us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Follow us on Instagram at D3Hoopsville. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can always email us Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. That's Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. Some of the topics that... uh covered the news, as it were, between the last time we had a podcast out and now. I think we talked about on the last podcast that there were decisions to be made with Wesley coming up. Well, those decisions were finally made, um, put to bed, as it were. Wesley at least has a history, or a future, I should say. It obviously has a history, but it has a future in some way. Delaware State, which is an historically black university, pretty much next door, about a mile and a half from campus to campus in Dover, Delaware, has agreed to take over Wesley. What was interesting and where COVID kind of comes into this is the question about athletics was still up in the air. No one really had an answer, to be blunt. Neither president answered the question several times when asked at several different times. Um, the long and the short of it is this, that they were going to spend the year kind of evaluating things. So we knew that the powerful Wesley football team was going to get another season, and we knew that other sports were going to get a chance at it. But that's all we knew. And where things would go after that was unknown. Well, now we're heading into no fall sports. We're heading into questions about the winter and spring sports as well, which isn't exactly giving Delaware State any chance to quote-unquote evaluate things. I've heard all kinds of options that could be at the table here. I have been told that Delaware State among many others, are planning to leave their conference that they're in and, and be leaving for another Division One conference. The conference that they're in, the MEAC, uh, is really, to all intents and purposes, coming apart. Um, many schools have been leaving that conference, and it's becoming a shell of itself. So it's not that surprising that Delaware State may be looking to, to leave. What they plan to do um, in the future could is where things get interesting. Um, one thought that I heard a lot, but no one can is really sure they're going to do or not, is whether they'll treat this a little bit like FDU and FDU Florham, where essentially FDU and FDU Florham are side by side with each other up there in New Jersey. FDU is the D1, FDU Florham is the D3. Essentially, you could do the same. Delaware State is the D1, DSU Wesley, or whatever they come up with an official name, is the D3. Another thought is, obviously, they dissolve Wesley Athletics and incorporate it all into Delaware State Athletics as a D1 program. Not sure if that's a, an option they're seriously contemplating or not. And then the more radical idea was that Delaware State might use Wesley's membership in Division Three and kind of reverse um, that process and, and incorporate into Wesley's athletics and become a Division Three school. I don't know which one is the option because we don't know. And with COVID now, I think things have become even more questionable. And what's crazy is the last football 
season for Wesley. Could have been last season and we didn't even know it. But that, at least the future of Wesley, we know is going to be with Delaware State. How it all comes together, what the actual future will look like in a year's time, in less than a year's time, still up in the air when it comes to athletics. But at least we know Wesley has found a partner after having about six partners, including Delaware State, fall through. Uh, tip of the hat to Bosco Jerkovic. He is retired from Carthage. And his son, Steve Jerkovic, a multi-time All-American, is taking over the program. Bosco won 567 games and two national titles as a Division III men's basketball coach. An absolute joy having on the show. We will work to see if we can get him on down the road sometime. Uh, he had decided to step aside. It, it, it seems that, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that coronavirus maybe played a role because you just don't know with things moving forward, certainly. Of course, the Quote from Bosco as COVID-19 has presented challenges in all industries and athletic and higher education are not exempt from that. While the uncertainty and certainty moving forward made this a good time, I'll be helping Steve as much as he needs me to and will be around to support the program and the college however I can. I'm proud to be retired at, as a Car Carthaginian. Easier to read than it is to say. So hats off to Bosco. I, we will be reaching out, getting him on the show for sure. But another Big time Division Three coach hanging it up this offseason. And good luck to Steve, who takes over the program. Uh, Carthage, of course, last year had a spectacular run in the CCIW. Certainly, we had plenty of time to talk about it. We don't even know if they're going to be playing this year, but hats off to Bosco nonetheless. And of course, as we mentioned, schools calling it off for the fall and even pushing winter sports down the road. That is another big topic. But another topic that kind of snuck, almost snuck past us, was the decision with St. Thomas. Now, you remember the last show was on, I, I point out that the decision about St. Thomas had come through, or I should say the process, and, and that a bridge from Division Three to Division One, a pathway, as it were, had been created, but it needed to be um, adopted. It needs to be voted in by D1 membership at the convention, which we now know will be virtual. And I had said, this is just kicking the can further down the road. St. Thomas now, as I was told, might not know until April whether they're going to be accepted. And, and this just makes scheduling even more difficult. Well, guess what? Out of nowhere, a couple weeks ago, D1 announces that St. Thomas not only has been granted the waiver, which they basically said St. Thomas would be granted, that if this got put in, St. Thomas could apply for the waiver and get the waiver of the year kind of um, evaluation period to understand whether this is a good idea. They announced, no, nope, nope, St. Thomas will go in to Division One as of the 2020-21 academic year, so just about a year from now, they will move towards Division One before this whole path is even voted on by Division One. Um, <laughs> to say that I had a few hours there of complete confusion would be an understatement. To those of you I reached out to just to try and get clarification, thanks for not texting me back, and you know who you are. Um, it, it comes down to that. I, I don't know why we kept kicking the can. I don't know why division one couldn't have come out and said, Hey, listen, we're going to create this path that we need everybody to vote on come January. The model, the model of this path is what we're modeling with St. Thomas and St. Thomas is going to do this path, but a formal creation of it will be adopted in January. But in the meantime, St. Thomas is going to move forward anyway. Why they couldn't have done that then, instead of waiting a month or so before going, oh, by the way, remember that path we're creating? Well, St. Thomas can go ahead and go ahead and go for it. Go, go ahead. I, I'm, a, I'm a little confused. And to be honest, I didn't have enough time to dive in deep because I was busy with World Team Tennis and getting ready for baseball season and some other logistics on my end. So I didn't really have a time to go, okay, why did we have one decision here and a completely different decision here? And anyway, St. Thomas is moving on to Division One, folks, uh, unless St. Thomas changes their mind. And again, I've made it clear that in this 
economic and, and pandemic times, maybe this isn't the best time to be jumping for Division One. Is the money really going to be there in the long run? I don't know the answer to that. But St. Thomas feels that they want to keep going. Um, we'll talk more about that when, when it comes up in the near future. Uh, in the next year, we'll talk about their departure. But I'll say this much. With COVID, we may lose the St. Thomas St. John's uh, football game this upcoming year, which would be disappointing. Maybe they'll play it next year as 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 St. Thomas transitions into Division One. But don't hold your breath because Division One schedules are controlled by the conferences more than the coaches. Um, I, I'm I hope we don't lose basketball season because we already have two St. Thomas St. John's games on the schedule in conference play, and I have it on good record that they were trying to look at getting a third game put together as well, um, just to kind of sign things off as it were for the year. So it's unfortunate if we lose basketball because then we lost this rivalry in more sports than just a couple. Because we'll also lose this, obviously, looking forward in other sports because a rivalry like army navy for example is not just about football army navy rivalry in in soccers and in and in sprint football and in volleyball and in basketballs and all the other sports are just as darn important as they are in football and so i'm hoping i'm hoping uh that we can find a way to get this to happen uh this season so we can at least have a final tommy's johnny's world as it were but um, unfortunately i'm not holding my breath but St. Thomas will be heading off to Division One after all, it turns out. And that scheduling can move forward, thankfully for them. I'm sure that is a headache the coaches are glad to get rid of. All right, so moving forward with Hoopsville, we'll continue to do our monthly podcasts. This one coming out in uh, mid-October kind of puts us back on the schedule that we were kind of on to begin with. So look for one coming in mid-September and then one in mid-October. We're working on a couple other projects. One of them it would be a, a pay-per-view type thing, not that you're viewing anything, as a bit of a way of, of keeping the funds in Hoopsville for us to keep doing this work, especially with the coronavirus effects. Um, but we don't have anything concrete to, to launch with that, but that's one idea. And the other idea is very different, using this platform for something very different. We're working on those details. Uh, we want to get them right on both of them before we launch them, not just kind of ad hoc it. And uh, we'll keep you abreast of that. Another update, uh, you all might Remember, I had back surgery at the uh, end of October last year, Halloween to be exact. I dressed up as a, as a patient, um, not by choice. Uh, I need another back surgery. I don't remember if I mentioned that on the show or not. That will have to happen sometime between now and uh, probably mid-October for a lot of different reasons. Um, that will possibly side my sideline me a little bit, but we'll work on making sure it doesn't sideline me too much but looking forward to uh, at least getting this put behind me. So just be aware we may have a little bit of a delay before the season starts or when the season was supposed to start on getting the next podcast out the door. And, and what we do in November, to be honest with you folks, I'm not sure. We're going to have to get closer to that to seeing what we may do in November and what we may do with um, our usual shows, video, and all of that. I'll, I'll make this plea. We have a couple of things on our to-do list that if you want to help us with, please let us know. First off, we're starting to look to, to put sponsors and advertisers together for the upcoming season, whenever that may take place. Um, if you are a past advertiser or sponsor or want to be one in the future, please contact us. You can email me, dave.mchugh at d3sports.com or hoopsville at d3sports.com. Doesn't matter, whichever one you want to use. You can easily get a hold of me and we will talk uh, brass tacks on that stuff. Also, I put this out on a tweet late last week. It, we're looking for a theme song. We, we've had a couple theme songs, but not theme songs we're technically allowed to use. Back in our in our history, we've had some. But moving forward, we want something. 
And believe it or not, if you don't know it, the Hoopso logo is actually a creation of a former Stevenson, at the time Villa Julie student, who was a graphic artist and was willing to lend his uh, expertise to create it. And uh, more than thankful for that, uh, came up with some pretty good products. So we're thinking if there's a whether there's a professor or maybe a student or student athlete out there who wants to come up with a theme song for the show, doesn't have to actually have lyrics and just be music maybe. I don't care. Contact us. Love to hear about it and come up with an idea that may work for the show. So there you go. A couple of housekeeping things for us. I want to thank Philip Ponder from Oglethorpe for coming on. We'll see if his idea moves any further forward and whether we're talking about it more seriously the next time we have our podcast. Also, Jason Fine from Bates coming on uh, and talking about the challenges that coronavirus we know has put in place, but how they're trying to remedy them and what the goals ultimately are for athletic administrators and, and the like and, and what D3 is trying to do to make it easier for all of its membership. Really appreciate Jason coming on the show. And of course, Gordon Mann. Always great to have him on the show. Great perspective, especially on the women's side of the game. Great all-decade team. If you, if you go to the page, please click on the links for each individual player. There are some great quotes in there. There are some great things in there, stories, gems, little details. Fun to look back on the careers and what they've done since uh, of many of the student-athletes in Division Three, And don't forget, the men's will be coming out in the near future, and then we'll also talk about those who fell inside the gap. And before I go, uh, a hat tip to uh, Ira Thor and Chris Mitchell. Ira Thor is still at New Jersey City. You might know Ira from his appearances on here. He's also my color guy in a lot of different sports that I call for the NCAA or elsewhere. Ira is still at NJCU, but he's no longer in the athletic department primarily. He's moved up at the college in the communications department. Tip of the hat to him. He'll still be involved in Division Three athletics, and he'll probably still be calling sports if we're allowed. Granted, just lost the soccer championships from us from Greensboro, but hopefully down the road, he and I will be calling something. Um, the tip of the hat for his career in the athletics department and good luck as he moves forward. Basically, he's going to be kind of overseeing the communications for the athletics, but it gets more complicated than that. And then Chris Mitchell, after 20 years at Wash U, is leaving Wash U. His last day will be August 14th. He is uh, going to be a communications guy for a small, or not small, I shouldn't say that, but Granite, um, Granite City, Illinois, I believe, school district. He's going to be the PR person there. A little bit different, to say the least. I know I got a text message from him prior to recording this, uh, and honestly have not read it, um, not because uh, I didn't want it for this segment, but because I didn't have time. I will read it after this. But Chris is one of the guys, like Ira, that I loved chatting with in the sports information world, whether it's it's talking about their teams, whether it's talking about teams in their area, whether it's just talking Division Three sports or sports in general. With Chris, it's a rivalry. He's a Cardinals fan. I'm a Cubs fan, and we're not supposed to get along, but gets along with his wife, who's a Cubs fan, so it works out in my in my book. Um, I'm going to miss the conversations with both guys, but I know I'll still have them. Chris was great. We've had him on the show, even making mock selections. Maybe if we keep him involved with Division Three, we'll get him back in. But hats off to both gentlemen. I know there's others out there like uh, Dave Walters at Guilford who got uh, released by the school, basically laid off. Chris Kilcoin at Roanoke got laid off. Um, those are going to be misses, but they weren't their choices. Um, I know there's others that are probably coming or ones I, I didn't even realize. Kevin Ruppel, by the way, Wittenberg, retired. Um, of course, this got a little bit under the uh, radar when we lost Chris Wensler. But there's other great sports information guys who are hanging it up for whatever reason. And we want to tip our hat to them. And in the meantime, I mentioned it earlier, Sam Atkinson, now the head of COSIDA, 
tip of the hat to all of those who are still plugging along in what are very different times these days with no fall sports for the most of them coming up. I know things are a little bit different for all of them. So hat tip to all the sports information directors, but especially Ira Thor and Chris Mitchell today. I wanted to uh, thank you guys for the help you've given our show and given me in my coverage of Div Division Three sports across the board. I really appreciate it. And uh, well, I, I can't imagine doing my job where I haven't contacted uh, you guys or I haven't contacted a lot of you. And uh, I'm going to miss those interactions, to say the least. It's going to be a little weird texting somebody at those two schools or emailing somebody at those two schools when I'm not emailing them specifically. And with that, we wrap up the show. Our next one will be in September, a little bit after Labor Day. We'll figure out what we want to talk to specifically. But I have a feeling we might reach out to Bosco Jurakovic. When you want to talk about a good storyteller, Bosco's your man. And we still, I know we want to talk to some of the greats, uh, the coaches who are taking over some for some of the greats. We talked about it, Amherst, F&M, and Worcester. We'll talk to those coaches in the near future, too. And there's some women's topics we want to get to as well. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This has been a presentation of Hoopsville um, by DMAC Productions. All, all rights are ours. Contact us if you want to use any of this. Presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBC. NEBC studios. I want to thank our partners at the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, National Association of Basketball Coaches, and of course, Blue Frame Technology for their assistance as well, and our friends at D3 Hoops. Enjoy the, the last few weeks of summer as school starts up for a lot of you, some of you virtually for your kids and colleges figure out what they want to do. We'll get back to you when the dust doesn't necessarily settle in September, but we start seeing the future a little bit more clearly as well. Have a good one, everybody, and please stay safe and stay healthy. This copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.